0: Tonight's scripture reading is Matthew 27, uh, verse 11. Matthew 27, verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto them, Thou sayest. Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. We're gonna to be looking at the passage that being read just a moment ago, Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 11 as we think about the theme, Jesus stood condemned in the halls of Pilate. Nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate on trumped up charges. Unfortunately, he was found guilty or sentenced to death. Pilate, as you well know, delivered him to be crucified. On a positive note, Jesus went to the cross, suffered, bled, and died so that we might have eternal life. I want us to spend some time for just a minute or two and talk about the events surrounding the trial itself and then the crucifixion of Christ. Let me begin by calling attention to the interrogation of Jesus. During the interrogation of Jesus, the question was asked by Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? In verse 11, Jesus responded by saying, it is as you say. As we think about this question and the interrogative process, Let me begin by saying that Pilate misunderstood the kingship of Jesus. You see, he asked in a very pointed way, are you the king of the Jews? Well, Jesus was indeed a king, but Pilate misunderstood the nature of his kingship. Do you remember when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Herod, ask the question, where is he that is born King of the Jews? We find later in life, during the earthly ministry of Jesus, as he made his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem, that the people on that occasion spread palm branches before him, and they cried out, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord the king of Israel. Well Jesus was indeed a king. Paul pronounced him as the king of kings and lord of lords in 1 Timothy chapter 6 at verse 15. But there's also another thing that maybe we ought to see and that is he misunderstood the nature of his kingdom. You see if you're going to be a king you have to have a kingdom. Pilate, like many political leaders in that day and time, when they thought about a king or a kingdom, they thought about a secular king and a secular kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus came to establish and the kingdom over which he now rules and reigns is a spiritual kingdom. In John chapter 18, as Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, Jesus would say unto him, my kingdom is not of this world. That right there underscores the nature of his kingdom. Jesus had promised to establish a kingdom. When John the Baptist began his preaching in the long ago, he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew tells us that Jesus when he began his public ministry heralded the very same message, according to chapter 4, verse 17. In Mark 9, at verse 1, Jesus said to those in the first century, Verily, verily, I say unto you, there are some of you that are standing here who will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. Jesus was talking about the church, that spiritual institution, over which he now functions as head. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, that Jesus talked about the spiritual nature of the kingdom because he said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. He said, The kingdom of God is within you. It's interesting to note that the Bible tells us that we are in the kingdom and the kingdom is within us which I think denotes or underscores the fact that it is a spiritual institution. Now there's a second thing that we need to see in the interrogative process. Not only did Pilate misunderstand the kingship of Jesus, but the Bible tells us that he marveled at King Jesus. Note if you would what he said in verse 12. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. The word marveled here simply means to wonder at. To be had in amazement. And I think the idea is that as Jesus stood before him, he marveled that he offered no defense. Was Jesus guilty of the crimes? Absolutely not. And yet, Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, answering him not one word. I think there is some meaningful application here for us. And that is, there are a lot of people in our world that marvel at the greatness of Jesus, If you were to sit down with people and talk to them one-on-one about Jesus Christ, they would have a lot of good things to say about him. They would talk about his virtuous character, his integrity, his morality. They would see him as a sympathetic figure. They would talk about his good deeds, his kindness, his words of compassion. I mean, there are a lot of attributes that Jesus demonstrated during his earthly life and ministry and there's no doubt in my mind that when you look at Jesus he stands alone in many many respects and so people marvel at Jesus the problem however they never choose to obey him they will they will agree he was a great man he did a lot of great things that they will agree that there are many fine things that have been written about the life of Jesus. But when it comes to obedience and becoming a follower of him, they're not interested. John gives a commentary the Jews of his day in John chapter one at verse 11. John said he came to his own and his own received him Not. I would encourage you sometime to go through the narratives of the gospel record. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And note, if you would, the number of people that had the opportunity to stand face to face with Jesus. And note, if you will, the number of lives that he changed. The flip side of that is, note how many people chose not to follow him in light of his unbelievable ministry. I think about the marvelous words of Jesus. And then his miracles. One of the crowning miracles in his ministry, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It's true, some people believed in Jesus as a result of that great miracle. But if you'll read that text in John chapter 11, you'll find that many people went away In unbelief. As a matter of fact, some went away with the intent of plotting and planning to have him crucified. And so Pilate marveled at King Jesus, not unlike many today. There's a second thing I want to call your attention to, and that is the innocence of Jesus. We talk about the trumped up charges that had had been leveled against Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And yet it's interesting to me that two times in chapter 27 in the context that we're looking at Jesus is identified as a just person. First, by the wife of Pilate. And then secondly, by Pilate himself. That ought to tell us something. As we think about the innocence of Jesus I want to begin by calling attention for just a moment to Pilate as he ignored the warning of his wife. Beginning in verse 16, the Bible says, At the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had delivered him. Now note verse verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, Have nothing to do with that just man. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Pilate's wife was correct in her assessment, wasn't she? She affirmed that Jesus of Nazareth was a just man. In other words, she did not believe he was guilty. Here is this howling mob crying for the head of Jesus. And Pontius Pilate's own wife, this political leader's wife, tells him that he's a just man. And then there's a second thing I want you to see. Not only did he ignore the warning of his wife, but he ignored the wisdom in his own mind. In other words, he ignored his own wisdom. You see, Pilate believed Jesus was innocent. First, we talk about the prevailing custom. I read just a moment ago, verses 15 and following, where There was a custom in that day to release to the multitude a prisoner whom they wished. And so they had the option, that is, the people had the option to choose between Barabbas or Jesus. Barabbas is identified by Matthew as a notorious prisoner. Luke tells us in his account that he was an insurrectionist, that he was a murderer. And yet, they're calling for the head of the Son of God. Can you imagine that kind of mentality? Here's this notorious prisoner on the one hand, and then Jesus of Nazareth on the other, and they're calling for the release of Barabbas. But then the probing consideration. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 20. The chief priest and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas, somewhat incredulous. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said to him, Let him be crucified. Jesus wanted to know, what do you want me to do with Jesus who is called Christ, that is the anointed one, the Messiah? Well, they wanted him crucified. Let me just ask this question tonight. What are you going to do with Jesus? 2,000 years ago, that question was asked. It was a powerful question. And a personal question. It remains a powerful question and a personal question. Each and every one of us has to make the decision. What are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to obey him? Are we going to follow him? Are we going to be submissive to his will? Or are we going to reject him? Now we ask the question what are we going to do with Jesus? But here's a second question we would do well to consider. What will Jesus do with us? You see, right now we have the opportunity to decide to follow him. The question remains, what will we do with him? But there's coming a day in which the question will be asked, what will he do with us? In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, he that rejecteth me And receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, he said, The same shall judge him in the last day. Did you know that you're going to give an account of your life to Jesus? The Bible tells us that we shall all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul said, Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us must give an account of himself to God. One day we will stand before the Son of God. The Bible tells us he will come with all his holy angels. And all nations shall be gathered before him. And you'll be there. I'll be there. We'll all be there. And we'll bow in the presence of the great I Am. And we will acknowledge him as Lord. And then we will give an account of the deeds that we have done in our mortal body. So again, the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? The second question, what's Jesus going to do with you? There's coming a time when, as I said a moment ago, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. Pontius Pilate, before whom Jesus stood, will be there. Those that took part in the death of Jesus, they will be there. John tells us that the very one that pierced the side of Jesus will see him when he comes in his glory. And so the innocence of Jesus, it should not be lost on us that Pontius Pilate believed in the innocence of Jesus. But then I want you to think about the injustice done to Jesus. The Bible tells us that Pontius Pilate delivered Jesus to be crucified. There are two things that I think stand out in this point. Number one, the foolishness of Pilate. Listen, if you would, to his declaration about Jesus. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, But rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying, listen to him, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Was he really innocent? Not at all. Pilate thought he could wash his hands of the matter. That he could stand with a clear conscience. But that wasn't the case. You see, he was the political leader. He had the opportunity to stand up and speak out. Luke tells us in his account that three times Pontus Pilate asked the question, what evil has he done? He went on to say, this man has done nothing worthy of death. Let me say this about Pontius Pilate. He was a coward. He lacked courage. He had no spine. He could have stood up. He could have said, look, Jesus is innocent. But he didn't do that. Do you remember what Jesus said on one occasion? He that is not with me is against me. There is no neutral ground. Pilate sought neutral ground. The problem, however, it didn't work. Now, we talk about his declaration about Jesus before the crucifixion. And the Bible also tells us about his deliverance of Jesus to be crucified. Look at verse 26. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Jesus was nearly beaten to death by the scourge. Historians state that when people were scourged, it left them a bloody mess. Jesus was no exception. Verse 27, the Bible says, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. So Jesus has been scourged, stripped, and verse 29 tells us they sneered at him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. Jesus was indeed a king. Pontius Pilate had asked the question, Are you the king of the Jews? Well, we know the answer. But they said this in a mocking tone. Verse 30 says, They spat upon him. Not only did they spit on Jesus... But the Bible says they struck him in the head. Verse 31 says, when they had mocked him, they took the robe off off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. And then note what is said in verse 32. As they came out, they they found a man of serene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, That is to say, place of a skull. They gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots." Sitting down, they kept watch over him. They put up over his head the accusation written against him this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So here we have the account of Jesus being crucified. And Pontius Pilate had a part in that. He was culpable, he was responsible in part for the death of Jesus. But then I want you to see not only the foolishness of Pilate But the foolishness of the people Listen to what he said in verse 25 Now you have to understand Pilate has just announced Jesus is a just man That he was innocent of the blood of Jesus And here's what the people said You talk about foolishness Foolish words Listen to what they said His blood be on us and on our children. Do you think they really understood that they were in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, the one that the prophets had foretold of centuries earlier, the one that came to bear the sins of a sin-cursed earth? I don't think they had any idea that this man was God's only son. Now, we talk about the words and the behavior of these people. When you stand at the foot of the cross, and as you step back into the, into the halls of Pilate, and you witness the events that took place, all you can do is shake your head. I mean, don't you wonder? Don't you wonder how Pontius Pilate could have reacted so cowardly? Is it not mind-boggling that he stood in the presence of Jesus? That he had the opportunity to interrogate him, to question him. He verified his innocence and yet he turned his back on him. And then you have the people. The people were so bloodthirsty for Jesus Christ. They had the audacity to say his blood be on us and on our children. Let me tell you what. It wouldn't be long before a multitude of people would assemble in the city of Jerusalem. And they would observe Pentecost. And on Pentecost Day, the Apostle Peter would stand up. And having been inspired by the Holy Spirit, he would preach the gospel for the first time. Jesus had promised that he would receive the keys to the kingdom of God. He received those keys. And in Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us that he indicted them for what they had done. He said, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in your midst, as ye yourselves also know. He said, Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by lawless hands have crucified and slain. Oh, he indicted them. When they said his blood be on us and on our children that wasn't lost on almighty God and inspiring the apostle Peter Peter could say look you have taken Jesus and you put him to death did that message resonate with those people on that occasion Luke tells us in chapter 2 that when they heard this they were cut to the heart it jolted them Some of those people had tender hearts on that occasion. And they cried out and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Verse 40 tells us, with many other words did Peter testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this unjust or crooked generation. Luke goes on to say in verse 41 that some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel. They were baptized into Christ. Their sins were washed away. Now, stepping back for a moment, what if you had been present at the trial of Jesus? What if you had had the opportunity to walk with Jesus to the place of the crucifixion? What if you had stood at the foot of the cross? What if you had listened to the sayings of Jesus while on that cross? What would you have said? Would you have said anything? Would you have taken part with those who mocked and taunted him? Would you have cast insults into his face? Would you have said, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you now? Or would you have believed? Would you have long since made up your mind that this this is Jesus? Jesus? the Son of God. Matthew tells us that the centurion who was present on that occasion said truly this man was the Son of God. I want to close by saying Jesus he was and is the Son of God. He is our only hope. We talk about the trial scene. I can't imagine having been present on that occasion, but I can read about it. And as I think about the foolishness of Pilate and the foolishness of the people, the thought that rings in my mind is this, we don't have to be foolish like they were. We don't have to turn our backs on the Son of God. We can accept him, that is we can accept what the Bible says about him, that he is who he claimed to be. We can accept the testimony of the New Testament writers, the Old Testament prophets. We can accept his will and become one of his children today. You see, Jesus is in the saving business. While on that cross, Jesus took the time to save one of the thieves, didn't he? Do you remember Luke said that one of the thieves that earlier in the day had cast insults into the face of Jesus, had reviled him, came to the conclusion that Jesus was a just man. He said, this man has done nothing amiss, but we, oh, we're guilty. And so he said to Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom." And the Lord said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus saved that man. And he can save you today. Here's what you need to do. Believe that he's the son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess his name before others and then be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. I want you to understand there's no other way. There's no other person that can save you but Jesus. Luke said, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If we're going to be saved, we'll be saved by the Lord Jesus. And if we're going to be saved, we're going to be saved according to the Lord's way. And Jesus said, If you follow me, I'll bless your life. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. We want you to come to Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. We want you to come back to Christ. Do you remember in John chapter 6, Jesus had declared himself to be the bread of life. And in making that declaration, many of the Jews of that day, they had difficulty accepting what he said. And so John said, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And Jesus asked the question, will you also go away? Simon Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. For we believe and have come to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Maybe you've gone back. Maybe you long since quit following Jesus for whatever reason. Pain, suffering, sorrow, the world, There are lots of reasons why people give up. Here's what you need to do. You need to come home. Come back to the Lord. The Bible says that if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Could we pray with you tonight? If you need to obey the gospel, we'd be happy to baptize you this evening as we stand and sing.